Welcome to the Bible Q&A Podcast, the show that answers your questions about the Bible, Christian theology, and church history. This podcast is brought to you by Risen Ministries and Creation Today. Now here are your hosts, Tim Chafee and Eric Hoven. Are there sections of the Bible that should not be in there? That is one of the questions we're addressing on today's episode of the BQA Podcast. If this is your first time listening into the BQA Podcast, I'm Eric Hovind. And I'm Tim Chafee. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, we love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we love following the example of Christ, and we want to love others. And one of the ways we do that is by providing answers to your questions about the Bible with this podcast. So if you enjoy what you hear, we'd actually be honored if you'd consider rating this podcast and sharing it uh, on social media. That sure means a lot to us so that others can hear this as well. We've got some great questions lined up for today's show, and I think we're going to do something a little bit different. Today, I'm going to ask Eric the questions, right, man? Let's do it. I've got all the answers, buddy. (laughs) I might rely on my sidekick for a little bit of help, though. We'll see. Okay. All right. That sounds good. Uh, actually, we'll, this is still the same format as what we're usually doing. But if you've got a question that you want answered, just send us an email at BQA. That's for Bible Q&A. So BQA at creationtoday.org. Easy enough to remember. It rhymes. BQA at creationtoday. Uh, so send us an email with your question and we'll be sure to put it on the show. Well, question number one for us today, Tim, is, is it okay to have questions or doubts Like about God, about Christianity, about what the truth is. All right, let's jump into this. I mean, uh, who out there hasn't ever doubted? And I'm kind of like, unless you're going to say it's you, right? I've never doubted anything. (laughs) Um, Well, you know, you wanted to have some questions with quicker answers. So the the quick answer to this is, um, is it okay? No, don't. No, just <laughs> <laughs> Everybody out there is in sin that has ever doubted. Right. Okay, that's the, that's the right. response. No, that's not um, that's not the appropriate response. Um, you know, God isn't afraid of our questions. That's something that um, I think a lot of times we feel as Christians like, hey, if we if we're wondering about something that maybe the Bible says something and we're struggling to uh, make sense of that, we're struggling to reconcile. It, it it's it's not wrong to have questions about it. It's not wrong to wonder, you know, what does he, what does he want from me during this part? What is, what is he really saying? What is, what does this passage mean? Um, that, that isn't, that's kind of natural and God isn't afraid of those sorts of questions. Um, it really comes down to what's the motive in that, that questioning that the motive in that doubt, is it like a desire to understand that you you want to learn more, you want to make sense of it, or is it, I'm looking for reasons to doubt, I'm looking for reasons to have questions, and I'm going to try to attack in those questions. You know, that you understand the difference, Eric, what I mean by that? I, I do. I really get that. Um, I guess with what you're saying, with the way you're answering, I go, okay, these are questions specifically like we are dealing with. You know, we've dealt with different things, and we got several questions we're going to line up today, different qu- things about the Bible for those of us that believe the Bible. Uh, I'm almost wondering, backing up, is it okay to doubt the existence of God? Is it okay to doubt 
the authority of his word. Is it okay to doubt? So I'm almost thinking that there's two planes and then on those two planes, there's kind of the different, there's the different sides. I'm kind of imagining it right and left where one side is it's a, it's an attacking and you're actually looking for ways to doubt the Bible. The other side is more, I really want to understand this and I don't, I don't understand what it means yet. I want clarity. So one is an attack and one is seeking clarity. So I get that. But I'm curious on the uh, on the kind of the top and bottom view as well. Uh, is it okay to doubt God's existence? Let alone, you know, did Jonah really get swallowed by a whale or a fish? Okay. Um, well, the second part, I think that would be a, a different topic for another show. So if somebody wants to hear that one about whether did, did you know Jonah really get swallowed by a great fish, um, that one we can discuss in more detail because there's a lot to that one. But um, is it okay to question that or to to have doubts about it. Uh, let me, I, let's go a little bit deeper with this, Eric. I, what about um, somebody who, um, somebody who's believed in God and has served him, you know, faithfully for 20, 30 years, and then their spouse dies mm. and, uh, or their child, you know, their child dies, you know, they, they go through some very difficult period. Is it, is it okay during that time for somebody to say, yes, I believe, God, I believe you're there, but I, I, right now I'm questioning your goodness. I'm questioning, you know, do you really love me and love others because I'm going through this this difficult period? And uh, I, I think maybe the best way to think about that is to, to, to define what do we mean by is it okay? Is it, mm. um, it's natural. And I don't think that um, God counts that as sin for you to, to struggle through grief. And during that grieving period, to have moments uh, where you're where you're struggling, so I, I wouldn't say that in and of itself is sinful. It's when you linger on that and and really uh, when you let it kind of transform into attack on his character. I think that's where the problem is. Uh, if you look, think of Job and what he went through, yeah. he questioned. You know, he he had a lot of questions, but in all of that, he did not sin. And yet at the same time, he didn't shake his fist at God and curse him and die like his wife said to do. So there's a natural um, grieving that we go through as humans. uh, And part of that can include some questioning, some doubt. But it's how we respond in those moments, I think, that is really the key. So would you say that there is a... There is a doubt that is sinful, and there is a there is a questioning and a wondering about the character of God that is not sinful. Would you put it all the way on the side of sin? I guess is my question. Yeah, I, I think maybe it's good to think of it in terms of a spectrum. Like there there is a, a natural question that isn't that's not sinful. You're wondering about certain things, or you're you know you're even struggling to make sense of certain things, and, and that doubt maybe you can call some of that doubt. Uh, but then there's also that side that is. Um, it's more on the side of trying to attack his character and who he is, then, yeah, there's obviously a, a sinful uh, aspect to that. You know, I was at a, uh, I was at a funeral recently. Uh, a friend of ours passed away of cancer, and the service was a celebration of his life. And when I think of the people that doubt in times of, in times of grief, um, I can see people going, why would you take him at such a young age? Or I, I can see people going, I want to doubt the goodness of God. But to me, if we, are, if we are using Scripture, if we're standing on the authority of Scripture and we're saying, okay, we're going to the Bible as our foundation, 
the, the Bible says he's in a better place. He's home. He's, he, had, he had trusted Christ as a Savior. So my doubt ends up getting answered with the sure word of God. And more than my experience and more than my feelings, I go back to the sure word of God. I'm reminded, Tim, I don't know if you remember the passage off the top of your head, but uh, one of the guys that was on, I think it was Peter, was on the Mount of Transfiguration and mm-hmm. he even said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. He said, even more than what my eyes saw, we've got the scripture. We can go back to this as our absolute authority. And we know these things to be true. And that is what he relied on to overcome any doubt or overcome any questions. So I think for the genuine seeker, we do have the scripture that gives us the solid foundation. Tell me what you think about that. Yeah, well, I think that's right. I think that you have, uh, go back to Job for a minute. What In his questioning, in his tremendous grief, and I don't know that any one of us can even try to put ourselves in his sandals, you know, what he went <laughs> yeah. through um, and how much he suffered. During that questioning, during the seeking an answer, what did he say? I know that my Redeemer lives. Mm, yeah. Um, and... Peter knew that too, um, in, in a fuller way than what Job did, because he, he got to see him multiple times after he rose from the dead. And I, I think that's why people like Peter and uh, Paul and in the New Testament, the reason that they still had hope in the midst of that grief is because they knew that Christ had conquered death. They knew that at some point, there, because he, God raised him from the dead, he's also going to raise Christ's followers, and we're going to be with him. So, if you have a um, if, if you have a, a big picture perspective, and you look at the reasons that might cause us to have doubt or, or fears or worries, and we look, we step back from that for a little bit, and we see from big picture that it's all, God's working all things together for the good. That He is going to uh, someday. This is going to He's going to bring this to an end, and there's not going to be any more tears or doubt or sorrow or so. Or a sorrow, and we have cause to rejoice. Uh, so we don't mm-hmm. we don't mourn like those who have no hope, as how Paul put it. Yeah. So we do mourn, and so grief can be a part of that. But it's not like those who don't have hope. It's not it's not a a, a hopeless grief or, or a hopeless mourning. So bottom line answer: Is it okay to doubt? Uh, is it okay to question? Uh, ultimately, it comes down to the motivation behind that doubt and behind that question and that's yeah, it, what determines whether or not it's sin I, well I, I think that's probably a, a safe you know a, a pretty good way to put it obviously god is the one who ultimately is going to know where that person's heart is at and whether what they're doing is sinful or not i don't want to look at one person and say hey the the way that you ask that question that's sinful that's not my call that's up to god but yeah i think it does come down to the motivation you know why am i struggling with this is because I want it to be wrong and I want to find fault with God somehow, or is it just, I, I can't make sense of this right now. I, I don't, I don't know how to, to cope at this point. I, I, I trust him, but I, I still struggle. It's, it's like the, the man whose son was uh, possessed by a demon. I, mm. I believe help my unbelief. Yes. See, and I find myself there all the time. I find myself going, God, okay, the more I study your word, the more I learn. But then the more I learn, the more I go, okay, now how does this go together? How does this, how does this work out? I mean, that's what you and I have conversations about on a regular basis is, yeah. is going, okay, how does this work out? How do, but I'm not seeking to destroy my own faith, destroy my trust in the Bible. I'm seeking to understand my faith in the Bible. Right, and I think that's the key, really. 
Well, that brings up another question that I think people ask, and I think a lot of people ask this question. Sometimes skeptics will bring this up um, and really try to make fun of the Bible. Anything to do with Noah's Ark and the flood. Matter (laughs) of fact, I saw something on Twitter yesterday by a very famous uh, tweeter, blogger, where he was making fun of the idea that Noah put animals on the ark. But when we hear the story of the flood, which most people are probably familiar with, a lot of people go, hey, did, did people actually stand there and make fun of Noah? while he was building the ark because it had never rained before? I mean, is that like, you're building a boat and they're like, why, you know, he's, he's like, it's gonna rain. They're like, it's never rained before. So did that really happen? Did people really make fun of Noah? And did it really never rain before the flood? I guess kind of two questions in one here. Yeah, there is two questions. Um, first of all, the Bible never says that people made fun of Noah. I know that might be a shock to a lot of our listeners because... Wait a minute. Yeah, I saw the movie, man. <laughs> they were standing there making fun of him. Well, I, which movie? You're yeah, talking that's about that true. horrible Hollywood one? I think no, they were getting ready to attack him. Didn't even uh, watch that one, so I oh, skipped that one altogether. Lucky. Yeah. <laughs> I had to watch that. I had to watch it twice. <laughs> oh, of, thank you uh, for doing that for all of us to tell us yeah. no need. That's um, what dangers on the job or whatever. That's the, <laughs> that's, I had to watch it for, for work and write a four thousand word review that you can find on AnswersInGenesis.org. dot But nice. um, yeah, I was not a big fan of that movie. Um, the Bible never says they made fun of him, and, and like I said, that might be a shock to a lot of listeners because we're so accustomed to our Sunday school story that you know here's what happened, and it, you know you hear it that way that it never rained before, and here he is building this ark out in the desert or out you know wherever he is. And he's saying there's going to be a big flood and people laugh and he's this crazy old fool because, uh, you know, it's never rained and, and here he's building this ark and it's supposed to rain enough to create a flood. <laughs> None of that's in the Bible. Um, that's all just the additional stuff that we fill in the gaps. You know, our minds do that when we're, when we're retelling things that we've read before. Trying and to imagine what would it have been like in that scenario, yeah. in that situation. Right. Now, Eric, uh, Noah was a godly man living in a very ungodly world. If there were people around him, do you think they probably made fun of him? Chances are yes, but yeah. I'm also thinking through the idea of, okay, he had himself and his three sons. What's keeping him from hiring people? Maybe maybe there were ungodly people that were working for him. I don't know what you think about that. I mean, have you ever studied well, Noah's Ark? I've, yeah, I've done a little bit of research on it. <laughs> I'm talking to Tim Chafee, who's written three novels on the subject, wrote every single sign inside the Ark Encounter uh, uh, attraction at Almost all Genesis. of them. Almost all of them. All the good ones. And, uh, <laughs> oh, man. So, yes, you've studied this out. So Yeah, well, there's the Museum of the Bible exhibit that I didn't do, so I, I have to put a disclaimer on there. And that's a great exhibit, too. Yeah. Um, the wording's not quite as good as the rest of them. No, I'm just <laughs> But um, yeah, so I've done a little bit of research on that, but it never says they made fun of him, even though it's very plausible. Were there other people that might have helped on the project? Sure, it's possible. Um, could have been other family members. It could have been, um, you know, people who might have lived in the area. Maybe, you know, he may have hired laborers to take care of things. And I mean, he could have just told them, hey, I'll pay you right when it stops raining. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tell you what, guys, but, as soon as it's done raining, I'm going to give you this money. Right, oh, you, your right. bonus is coming. It's that's in the right, mail. your bonus is in the mail. <laughs> um, oh, that's yeah. Bad. So, I, I, but that's one issue. You know, where they making fun of it? It's very plausible, very believable. If there were people around that they did, um, but it doesn't say that. So, just keep that distinction. Okay. Make sure we dis- distinguish between what we 
add in what Scripture says. So, hang um, on. Was Noah a preacher of righteousness, or was he a man of righteousness? Does the Bible say he was actually preaching and declaring? And uh, uh, depends on which version you read. No, oh, because really? It, like, it, like in the ESV, he's not a preacher anymore. He's a herald. But that's what, that's what the word means. He's a proclaimer. Okay. Um, so in the New Testament, we're told that he's a preacher of righteousness. It doesn't say anything about his preaching in the Old Testament. It doesn't tell us anything like that. We read that he is a righteous man, that he's a godly man, but it doesn't tell us like the message that he would be preaching. Obviously, he wasn't saying, um, you know, Jesus died on the cross for your sins yeah. <laughs> and he rose from the dead. He, he's not saying that. Um, but he can certainly be talking about, you know, people need to turn from their wicked ways and, and follow the creator. I'm sure he can give that message. Yeah. But, um, okay. So what just, about the rain, the rain portion? What about that? Yeah. The whole rain thing, that's a, that, that's been a popular idea for a lot of, uh, creationists. And yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's largely based on Genesis two, five and six, uh, talks about how before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown, uh, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground. And then it says, but a mist went up and watered the earth, uh, or mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And so people look at that and say, see, this is a different sort of hydrologic cycle pre-flood. And uh, sometimes people bring in the can this whole canopy model, which that's a different discussion for another time. Um, but, but it's kind of based on these ideas that the pre-flood world is very different. There wasn't rain. Well, that whole, that verse is, all it's saying is prior to day six, it hadn't rained yet. There's no man to till the ground. God hadn't created man yet because he's going to do it in the very next verse. In verse 7. Um, so it's just setting us up. Is it fair to take that verse and then extend that for the next 10 generations all the way down to Noah and say, it never rained? Or is it, uh, is it just telling us, is it just setting up a, for what's about to happen? There, um, that there's certain kinds of plants that aren't yet there. Uh, those aren't, the, by the way, the, the plant of the field or the herb of the field, those words that are translated as those. Uh, there are some Hebrew scholars who say those refer to um, plants that have like the wild shrubs of the steppe that they have thorns, so thorny plants, and then other ones that are cultivated plants. Well, the reason those aren't there yet is because man's not there yet. Man's not there to cultivate, and man hasn't sinned yet, bringing the thorns into uh, the world, so there wouldn't be thorny plants yet. So it's kind of setting us up for what's about to happen, not saying for the next 1,600 plus years, no rain. Um, then people will look at Genesis 9:13, where God puts the rainbow in the sky, and they'll say, so this is the first time there's a rainbow. See, obviously it hadn't rained yet. Yes. But even that falls apart because you would have during the flood, you know, as the ark, once the the mechanisms for the flood, the fountains of the great deep, the windows of heaven breaking, all of that kind of stuff, as they're floating on the water, you would have rain that's occurring. You would have water evaporating and coming down as rain. And if there's any sunlight at any time during that entire thing, you're gonna, you would have a rainbow. So this isn't the first rainbow that's happened. This yeah, is, but they were in the ark and they couldn't see it, so it didn't count. Well, but then it still would have rained prior to that, wouldn't it? So rain before, and that's ultimately the question: Did it rain before the flood? Yeah. Before well, here's what I would say: is I don't, I don't think we should, be, we should be dogmatic one way or the other. I okay. don't think there's a very strong case that can be made for the idea that it did not rain, that God changed the, you know, the whole hydrologic cycle at that time, at the time of the flood. I. I don't see that because we have to. We have to imagine even if the even if the water were coming up as a mist and watering the ground, you would still get evaporation taking place, which would end up creating the clouds. Correct? Ultimately, yes. I mean that's yeah. Ultimately, you'd you'd have some. Well, and even if you if you got oceans or a sea, which you do, and you've got warm air and warm water, 
um, you know, if the water's warm enough, it's, you're going to get evaporation, which will come down. So, yeah, I don't, I don't see a, a reason to believe that it did not rain before the flood. Uh, one other place where people point to is Hebrews eleven seven. It says, "By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen." And they'll say, see, he's being warned about rain, and nobody had seen that yet. He's being told about a flood, a worldwide mm. flood. Um, so you can't use that as definitive proof that it never rained. So those are the three main verses people build that idea on, and I I think it's um, rather inconclusive. I, I, I think it's a fairly weak case, but I, again, I, with some of these things, the Bible just doesn't give us a ton of information on. There's a lot of chapters, especially Genesis 1 through well, more than 1 through 11. I'd like 1 through 14. I would love more information in those chapters yeah. <laughs> to, to, to really know what's going on in, in some, some of those cases. Give it about uh, 60 years. I think you'll find out the answer. <laughs> if it still matters to me at that point, I think I will. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's good. Well, so ultimately, uh, we're going to chalk that up to uh, could be one way or the other and don't be dogmatic. Yeah, and I would say it's, it probably did rain. I would be... Um, I would strongly lean in that direction that it that it did rain and that um, so people weren't making fun of him for that reason it, if they were even making fun of him at all if they were making fun of him it's because here he is building it's never flooded before I mean think of the way people yeah. are now the way things are is the way they've always been so if you're saying something's going to be different in the future they kind of laugh they mock so yeah if if people laughed at him mocked it would probably be more for that or just for the fact that he was following the Lord, following the Creator, and they didn't. That's enough reason for mocking for them, apparently. Well, uh, I think we've got time for one more question, if that's all right. Sound good to you? Yeah. All right. Well, this only is... one more? Wow. Well, we'll see. Uh, I mean, time is flying here. Let's uh, let's try to hit one more, just because I, I know you that you guys that are listening to this, by the way, thank you, and uh, we really do appreciate the, the comments, uh, the questions that, are, that come in. Uh, the shares on social media. So thank you guys very much for that. Uh, this one is from Christopher, uh, who I happen to know is an atheist, is an unbeliever. And he says, do you think that the pericope, uh, and I'm going to forget how to say this, adulteria, in other words, the woman caught in the act of adultery, um, was part of the original gospel of John, even though it wasn't uh, attested to, it wasn't being attested in any manuscripts until the Codex Bezia, is that the name of it? The Codex Bezia? Bezia, yeah. Bezia, yeah. in the 5th century. Um, and if you don't, why should the Gospels be presumed to be accurate given that they have clearly been edited? So the woman caught in the act of adultery, and this really you know, takes on the, the bigger picture of are there parts of the Bible that are in the Bible that shouldn't be in the Bible? And how dare you say yes or no, however you answer that question, Tim. And I'm leaving it to you from there. All right. Well, yeah. The, so, pericope adultery. The, the, pericope, adultery, the woman. It. Yep, pericope. That's a fun word that um, theologians use and nobody else <laughs> in the world ever uses it. But you'll see it in every commentary. And that's, that's just, funny. It's like, hey, we've learned this word. We're going to use it. So, <laughs> over and over and over. <laughs> right. Um, so, the the issue is the, the whole passage of the woman caught in adultery from John 7, 53 through 8, 11, um, I'm sure most of our uh, listeners are familiar with it. It's one of the more famous encounters that Jesus has. And, uh, you know, this woman is dragged, be brought before him and said, hey, she was caught in the act of adultery. The law says we got to stone her. What do you say? And, of course, he, he writes something in the sand. We don't know what he's doing or he's drawing in the sand. Um, we, don't, we don't know what it is that he wrote. And then um, eventually he stands up and says, let he who is without, without sin cast the first stone. And we love that 
that answer, don't we? You know, yeah. He who's without sin cast the first stone because hey, you're, you're you all can't judge anybody and, anymore. That's well, right. Well, and yeah, and where's the man? I mean, it takes two to tango, right? So yep. how come you only brought the woman? Where's the the guy that was involved? And why aren't you bringing him forward? So look at the hypocrisy here of the religious leaders, and they're just trying to trap Jesus, and they're so hypocritical. And then um, after they leave, and they drop their stones and they leave, then he, you know, comforts her and says, you know. Where are your accusers? Yeah, where are your accusers? There aren't any anymore. And then he tells her to go and sin no more. And we love that answer too because he's he's showing compassion and he's um, showing mercy at the same time because, hey, if she was really caught in adultery, she she's doing something that the law says is punishable by death. So, uh, and yet here he is calling out her sin, saying go and sin no more. Stop doing this. But, you know, it's, it's as if he's, um, he's demonstrating that that mercy that we so much appreciate about Jesus. Um, the the tricky part is is that as the as Christopher says in the question, um, that it's not found in the earliest manuscripts, and and this is not some big secret. Um, you know, sometimes Bart Ehrman and others will write these books that make it seem as if the church is trying to keep everything from you. Just open your Bible, and right at the beginning of of John 7, 53, you'll have a little note. Maybe it's a footnote that you read at the bottom, or maybe it's the whole passage is bracketed, or there's a header before that, and it says, the earliest and most reliable manuscripts do not include this passage. It's right there in your Bible, so it's not a big secret. Um, and what they're talking about is we have thousands, many thousands of New Testament manuscripts uh, written before the days of the printing press, so all these handwritten copies. And the earliest ones, and the ones that... Uh, most textual scholars would deem to be the most reliable ones don't have this passage. And there's other passages as well, which this would take an entire uh, multiple episodes just to go through a whole bunch of these. But this particular one and the other one that's pretty famous is the uh, ending of the Gospel of Mark. So the last 12 verses, uh, verses 9 through 20 of Mark 16, you'll see the same sort of note that it's not in the earliest and most reliable manuscripts. Again, it's not a big conspiracy from the church trying to hide this from you. It's just uh, they're being open and honest about it. So with this particular one, it's interesting. I did a paper on it in seminary uh, about the woman caught in adultery. And most, just about every scholar, whether it's obviously liberals have no problem cutting this out, even though they like it too. They they like this idea of showing Jesus's compassion. They, they like that. Um, but even conservative uh, evangelical scholars, so people like D.A. Carson, um, say, you know what? It doesn't belong there in John. It, it wasn't part of the original Gospel of John, at least not there. And so what most scholars have, uh, most evangelical scholars, what, they're usually, what they usually will do is say, it, it didn't, doesn't belong there in John. In fact, the, the writing seems to match Luke's style a little better than it does John's style. And in some of the manuscripts, we actually do find it in Luke. So maybe it belongs in Luke or... Uh, what some people will say is that it's a real event. It really did happen, but John didn't originally write it in his gospel. It was something that was added a little bit later, um, that maybe it was a, a, a an account that had been passed down to some of his followers, and they said, oh, John didn't include this, but we really need to. He told us about it, or you know, maybe, maybe it belongs in Luke. So that's how evangelical scholars usually treat it. They look at the textual evidence, the external evidence, and even the internal evidence, meaning if you look at from... If you're reading the passage and you go from John 7:52 and skip that and go right to John 8:12, it flows perfectly. But this passage seems to 
break it up. It seems uh, to come out of nowhere, really. And so it doesn't seem like it really does fit there. That's the internal evidence. The external evidence, looking at all the manuscripts, the, the vast majority of the early ones, they don't have it. So, Eric, let's, for an, just for the sake of argument, let's assume it was not original to John's Gospel. Okay? Okay. Because that's the second part of Christopher's question, isn't it? Yeah, so because if, I know he's using this to kind of say, hey, if that's if we know that's not, how do we know basically we can trust any of it? It's kind of, and I, I think he's making a huge leap to come to that kind of conclusion of you can't trust any of it. Yeah, but, he is. And if that's what he's saying, um, that how can you trust any of it? What he's saying is how can you trust that it's reliable? So yeah, he really he thinks it calls into question everything that it's like an all or nothing proposition. Yeah. Um, so, and, it, and it wouldn't be that. I mean, the fact that it's not there in the earliest manuscripts, well, what do the earliest manuscripts have? Okay, are you willing, Christopher, are you willing to accept those? You know, forget, right. take that out now. You have to have the rest to accept. And right. I, and yeah, just because we they know still talk him, about Jesus he, dying on the he, cross and rising from the dead. Of course they do. Exactly. And that's right. something he's still not willing to, uh, to attest to. Right. Um, yeah, and actually, you, you've mentioned Christopher. He, he's usually very cordial toward us. We both we both know him, and he, he recently contacted me and asked if he could... Um, he said he read my book on the resurrection and, and really appreciated it, and he, he complimented me. He said I was a good writer, so I don't know if that... <laughs> maybe yeah, Thanks. Maybe he's got poor taste in writing. <laughs> I'm just but I, I think he's going to write... Uh, he wanted to write a, a critique and let me you know, see... Let him... Uh, he's going to show me what he, what he thought of it, and I said, yeah, go for it. That's so, awesome. Yeah, so That's I appreciate awesome. the dialogue. And for this question, Christopher, I think it's a great one. So think about this for for a moment, Eric. If this passage isn't there, let's say that it doesn't really belong, okay? And some people just drop, <laughs> they just turned off the, the stereo. I'm not listening anymore. But just for the sake of argument, let's assume it doesn't belong. Um, do we lose anything about the person and work of Christ if we don't have the passage? Uh, there's plenty of other places where he shows his mercy and his grace uh, every, time he, every time he heals a uh, a, a leper or somebody else, and says, "Listen, you're a, you're or a cast out demons, or cast or... out demons. Yeah, yeah. All these and, other and miracles yet, still happen. Yep, and he's still calling sin sin. I mean, he's yep. not skirting that issue. So everything that we see, um, there there is one question that comes up: What if it belongs? Okay, what if it really is there? Do we? Does Jesus do something that's not correct? Well, I, you know, when I think about it, like you said, where's the man? Here, all these men are ready to stone her. And it's like, well, hang on. The, the man should be there too. Is it incorrect for Jesus to basically start writing in the sand? And I can only imagine if the story is true, what he was Hypocrite. writing. Was he writing, you know, the names of the ladies that these guys have been with? And like, right. hey, re remember Rachel and remember <laughs> Hannah and remember, oh, yeah, I'm done. Oh, yep. Okay, I'm out of here. Oh, yeah. Uh, if everybody named Rachel and Hannah is very offended at you right now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Trigger no, but, warning. <laughs> but I'm curious about this because, you know, when we, and this brings up even more questions that I have, you know, that, for for example, why why wasn't David stoned? David was the king who lived in Old Testament times who committed adultery, and that was the law. So why wasn't he stoned? So that brings up kind of bigger questions, but specifically right, Jesus, on this one, Jesus, he, no, it well, doesn't change. But, right, but here's the question then. If if Jesus is born under the law, which is what we're told in you know Galatians 4.4, 4, um, and he he's a Jewish man living under the law, and the law says to stone him, and he says, and he doesn't support that? Is that what we're reading? I, or, <laughs> here's another wrench to throw into that. And All right. The, 
even if they were supposed to, according to Jewish law, according to the Mosaic law, stone the adulterer, Rome had apparently taken away the right that the Jews had to capital punishment. Oh, so that's if true. he would have said, go ahead and stone her and go get the man too, uh, would he then be violating Rome's laws, which was, was at that time, they were ruling over the Jewish people and we know he didn't tell them to violate Rome's laws like when it came to taxes and stuff. So was he saying that those rules for their nation had been subjugated to Roman laws at that time? There's so much that goes into this, but um, let's just assume for the sake of argument that it doesn't belong. And the internal and external arguments are very strong uh, against the passage rather than for it. Okay. But again, don't be dogmatic. I know, I was like, it. you're right. People are turning us off right now. So, Heretics! Yeah, so, <laughs> but Christopher asked how specifically he says, um, if you don't, why should the gospel be presumed to be accurate given they've clearly been edited? Well, here's my approach to these passages when it comes to the the gospel, of, when it comes to um, the woman caught in adultery or the end of the gospel of Mark. I don't base any of my teaching on those passages. You don't mm. hear me going around saying, well, Jesus said go and sin no more because I know where that passage comes from. And, or, you know, the end of Mark, hey, he says we're going to uh, drink poison and be just fine with it. That's a weird thing at the end of Mark that's been added, that doesn't seem like it was necessarily original to the gospel. So what I do is I avoid using those passages as the foundation for any doctrine. Hmm. That way, if they belong, I still know what they say, and I'm familiar with them. Um, but if they really don't belong, if there's something that are not uh, inspired scripture, I'm not basing my teaching my doctrine on those things but the passages where it is um where there is no dispute which is the vast majority of scripture then that's what i'm going to rely on to base you know base my teaching on i think that's great i mean at the end of the day i think we can consider the gospels gospels to be accurate uh because we have so much textual evidence we have so many manuscripts that to me is the glaring you know Look, look how many we we like you said, it's not we're not Christians are not hiding the fact that this isn't in the earliest manuscripts. It's well known, it's documented, and the fact that we can document leads credence to the 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 text that we have. Yeah, absolutely. Because here's the thing: we have so many um manuscripts, thousands of them. In fact, if you want to see this demonstrated, there's a video that I did in oh, I love uh, the Ark Encounter. Video. Um, uh, hey, we'll we'll put a link in here. Uh, he'll have it up right now, but it's like our, uh, what is it? It's Ar Ar yeah, it's arkencounter.com slash beans. That's B -E -A -N -S, right, B-E-A-N-S, yeah. so beans. And, um, Great video. Yeah, just you can watch that and you can see how the New Testament manuscripts uh, measure up compared to all to a lot of the other ancient writings and the amount of manuscript evidence we have for them. But here's what's important about that. Because we have so many of them, we know what the differences are and where they are. And so we can identify certain things that are that maybe are questionable, like this passage, and which ones are not. And we base our ideas on the ones that are not questioned. Uh, so how can we consider them to be reliable? Well, because of the vast... First of all, it's only a small minority of anything that's called into question. And none of that has, or very little of that has anything to do with, with doctrine. In fact, um, Bart Ehrman, who's kind of the, guy, the agnostic who's leading the charge in this movement. Yeah, he is, was. He claimed to be a believer and now says because of these textual variants, he rejects yeah, the scripture. He, yeah, he went to Moody and, and Wheaton, uh, which, by the way, we, I'm going to be driving up to Wheaton later today. I'm going to be speaking at a church there, uh, 
twice, or well, not twice, two days, Saturday and Sunday. So I'm going to be there over the weekend and looking forward to uh, sharing with Gospel Fellowship Church. We're doing a creation conference, so I'll be speaking six times over two days. Um, so I'm excited about that. But Bart Ehrman um, says that there are 400,000 variants, differences between all these manuscripts. Well, part of the reason is because we have so many manuscripts. But here's the thing. We know what they are, where they are, and what the differences are. And we know that the vast majority of times it's just a little spelling difference or it's, a little, you know, it's just minor, minor, minor variations. And less than one half of 1% of those variants are meaningful and viable is what uh, Dan wow. Wallace says. So it's just a very small minority that have any sort of bearing on the text uh, that, that would cause us any sort of concern. And Bart Ehrman even says that no essential Christian, that Christian beliefs are not affected by the uh, variants. No essential Christian beliefs are affected by the variant. So um, even if this guy who's leading the charge against the reliability of Scripture says they don't affect our, our essential beliefs, I'm not that concerned about it. Sounds to me like he has doubt unto sin, as we were talking about earlier. He's actually looking for ways to try to doubt rather than looking for ways to go, okay, it, do, does, this, does this conflict or is this just complementary information and you're right all the spelling errors things like that that end up being uh what what they point out or spelling differences i should say because right, of my, my spelling i don't call it spelling errors okay it's just different that's all it's just okay? creative spelling it's creative spelling that's it <laughs> um and and really what it comes down to is maybe it's a for a lot of people it's a flawed view of what inerrancy and inspiration mean uh it's a it's a like a overly high view of it as if God handed the Bible down to man and said, every copy that you ever make will be perfect. Mm. You know, more similar to what the Muslims do with the Quran. And that's not how the, how the Bible was put together. Well, that's interesting because I know that's going to come up actually in our next show, uh, episode five. I know we're actually going to hopefully have time to bring up this idea of the different translations and things like this and the, uh, the different, um, versions of the Bible. So that'll be a very interesting because I know a lot of people take Proverbs or uh, Psalm uh, is it 12, 6, and 7. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the words of the Lord are pure, is tried in the yep. fire, and, and they really use that. And when I when you study the context of that passage, I go, wait a minute, wait a minute, careful right. how you're using this. <laughs> exactly, so anyway, because it doesn't say what they think it's, it doesn't mean what they think it means. Yeah, to, I don't think quote, that means what you think it means. Right, to quote Inigo Montoya. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. It's, well, hey, what, what they think it means is inconceivable. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Christopher, thanks for the question. Yeah. And um, uh, Eric, uh, just real quickly, maybe uh, we've mentioned we've talked about Christopher. I think that he doesn't claim to be an atheist as much as he says he's agnostic. Okay, agnostic. My apologies. Uh, yeah. my just apologies. to clarify, so he didn't. No, he didn't text me and say, "Hey, you guys." No, I, no. <laughs> I just in my interaction with him, I think that's where he's at. So I don't want to mislabel him as um, if if we did. Um, if if he contacts us and says, no, I'm an atheist, well, okay, we'll let you know. But There you go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, um, either so, way, hey. I, you're right, though. I've enjoyed the interaction with Christopher, and he really is a sharp young man, and I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And I wonder sometimes, is he doubting out of real doubt, or is it a sincere doubt, or is it doubting towards, I, I, towards I, questioning? I, I, in my interaction, I think there's some of both. Yeah, that's what I would say, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Well, um, like you said, I don't think we're going to get to our last question. This one keeps getting kicked down the road. I know. So we'll kick one it, of these we'll times kick we're going to get to this. We're going to get to the gap theory sometime. Uh, but yeah, we, we're out of time for it today. Uh, but we're 
grateful that you've been listening so far. And if you've got other questions, if some of the things we've talked about have raised uh, more questions in, in your mind, then send them in to where, Eric? BQA at creationtoday.org. BQA at creationtoday.org for Bible, question, and answer. All right. Well, I think we're, that's a wrap for this show, isn't it? That's it, man. God bless you guys. Keep sharing your faith and living your faith everywhere, every day. God bless. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Bible Q&A podcast. If you have a question you would like Tim and Eric to address on the program, please send an email to bqa at creationtoday.org. The views expressed on the Bible Q&A podcast do not necessarily represent those of other ministries with which Tim and Eric are affiliated. Thank you for listening.